0: So, today we're observing the disappearance day of Srila Prabhupada, Tirubhav Mahamotsava, a small group of us gathered here in a remote location, remembering his divine grace. I got a question on the Sangha regarding the relevancy of the institution of Guru in our day and age, in our time. And the gentleman reasoned that, as so many institutions over the last 50 years have been rethought and reexamined, and turned inside out and upside down, the relevance of them questioned, so should this institution of guru and disciple, which he considered to be rather uh, a bad fit for our times and something that no intelligent person could take seriously. And naturally, I begged... To differ with him, and I gave him a brief but thoughtful reply. And in the reply I cited a couple of paragraphs from a beautiful homage in praise of Bhaktisiddhanta Saraswati Thakur that was written by Śrīla Bhakti Rakshakṣitadeva Goswami Maharaj. And it has been published in Harmonist, magazine of Bodhya and appeared many years later in the now famous book, Shri Guru and His Grace, Talks of Śrīla Śrīla Mārāj. And so, I'd like to read a little bit from that. So happens that in this same publication, a famous address of Śrīla Prabhupāda's, in glorification of his Prabhupāda, Bhaktisanda Thakur has also been published. Perhaps we can also read from that. But relevant to the Tiruvah the disappearance, Śrīla Śrīla has said something very nice in this book that I would like to read. And it was spoken to us at the time, just after the disappearance of Śrīla Prabhupāda. So it's very relevant. In fact, one would be hard-pressed to find something more profound... That was spoken by anyone at the uh, time of the disappearance of Srila Prabhupada. As he himself said, Srila Prabhupada, after my departure for philosophy, see my godbrother B.R. Sridhar Maharaj of Navadvipa. The student asks, after the disappearance of the spiritual master, how should the disciples continue the mission? Sridhar Maharaj replies, You must not neglect your conscience. You may go to fight as a soldier to save your country, or your people, or your honor. Your environment does not depend on your whim. It may appear extremely perplexing. You will have to face that. However complex the battlefield may be, as a soldier, you will have to fight. Otherwise, you have no faith in your own cause. There may be disturbances. Rather, we say there should be. There may even be fighting amongst devotees, but we should not leave the preaching of Mahaprabhu, despite all differences. Disturbance must come, because our most beloved guru has withdrawn from amongst us. Such a great curse has been thrown on our heads. Should we like to live peacefully? In its wake, disturbances must come, and we must undergo them. Still, we must remain sincere. We must face the difficulty in a proper way. It has come to train us to go in the right direction. What we received from our spiritual master, we understood only in a rough estimation. Now, things have come in such a way that we have to scrutinize ourselves in every position. We have to analyze ourselves. Atmanic shape, self-analysis has begun. We are under trial. What we received from our spiritual master, in what way have we received it? Properly or only showingly? The time has come to purify us, to test whether we are real students, real disciples, or his disciples only in face and confession. What is the position of a real disciple? If we live in a society, what is the depth of our creed? In what attitude have we accepted his teachings? How deeply rooted is it within us? This fire has come to test whether we can stand. Is our acceptance real or is it a sham, an imitation? This fire will prove that. So we must not be afraid under any adverse circumstances. Krishna says in Bhagavad-gita, A happy chatriya hankers for battle, the battle you are facing. So a bad workman quarrels with his tools. Our karma has come to face us, to surround us, and we can't avoid it. These disturbances are a result of our own karma. They came from within us, so we must not quarrel. We must act properly in dealing with that. We have to scrutinize more accurately what we thought we understood, Everyone must ask himself, where am I? Where is my real need? And how much am I hankering for the real thing? All these things will be expressed and made public. So, this is the real field of sadhana, or practice. Our practice, our advancement, needs all these difficulties. Otherwise, we may not know what is progress, and we will become hypocrites and give the same adulterated thing to others. So, to purify us, it is necessary that so many disturbances come. And God has no error. He commands the environment. It is not our responsibility. The responsibility of the environment does not rest on us. Our responsibility is within ourselves alone. The environment is in the hands of the Lord. He has not done any wrong to me. If I am sincere, then I have to adjust myself with this environment and put my faith before him. By our stand in any circumstance in the battle, our patriotism, will be put to test. We will be tested to see whether we are real soldiers or not. Anything may come, but we will have to face that. I must not forget my Lord, my Guru, my Gurunga, my Radha under any circumstances. Under all unfavorable circumstances, I must stand with my head erect and say, yes, I am the servant of that clan, that Sampradaya. Everyone may leave me, but I shall stand alone. With this attitude, we must march on, whatever the circumstances may be, then the recognition may come in my favor that, yes, under such trying circumstances, he is still there. Our superiors will be pleased with us. We must analyze ourselves. How much are we selfish? To what percent? Our unwanted bad habits and art still present within our hearts. How much are the impurities of karma and gan, mental desires and other filthy things mixed with the real faith? That must come out. That must be eliminated in different ways. If we want real good, no one can hinder us. With the spirit we must move and then we will be able to understand what is what. So these are very good practical advice given at the time. And so the disappearance of Srila Prabhupada As disconcerting as that was, what Siddha is saying, we have to say that it came for the good of everyone, to test them, to give them a chance to grow, to make progress. So if we're never tested, then how can we know if we've made any advancement, any progress? These things, the appearance of the Guru in our life, this disappearance is not under our control. This is all the arrangement of the Supreme Lord. Without the dispensation of Godhead extending himself to us in the form of Sri Guru, it is not possible for us to understand him properly. This is foundational to the Bhakti tradition. Sridharmarsh said it nicely in the offering I want to read some of that I quoted in responding to this gentleman who questioned the value of Guru in today's society. Sridharmarsh says, To err is human. To error is inevitable for all, being not perfect. Still, no one wants to remain imperfect. There is an element within all that is animate and tends towards perfection. If it were not so, we would feel no want at all. Our tendency towards perfection is certainly very weak and limited. Otherwise, we could attain the goal at once. Our limited capacity and tendency for perfection makes room for the guide, or guru. The imperfect soul is not so if he is not in need of help, and that also from beyond himself. The perfect is not perfect if it cannot assert itself or help others, and that too of its own accord. So the guidance to perfection or absolute truth is necessarily a function of the Absolute himself. And the divine agent through whom this function manifests is Sri Guru of the Divine Guide. So, Sridhar is explaining that the very nature of the Godhead is such that the principle of Guru must be present within him, Guru Tattva, and manifests in our lives as an expression of his own perfect nature, bringing about our perfection in love, So, we cannot do without this principle, and at the same time we're discussing the disappearance of Śrīla Prabhupāda, or in principle, the disappearance of the Guru. So as Śrīla Mahārāja said, the disappearance we cannot do without, so He appears in our life, but He disappears to bring us also, not to separate Himself from us, but to bring us closer to Him, and those who understand this, and stand strong and firm in the trial and tribulations that come at such time, then they have an opportunity to connect with their spiritual master in a deeper way than they had previously. So we should read, therefore, the environment that surrounds the disappearance of Śrīla Prabhupāda as favorable in spite of so many apparently unfavorable things that have come to pass. We have to sort all those things out and find find his good guidance as it is represented in another, in another and in a substantial way, and proceed. That is for the next generation. That is not only for the next generation, but Sridhar Maharaj once told me, in the absence of our guru, we have three choices. One, become the teacher, Guide ourselves to to follow such a person. Three to get out of the way. Don't impede that person. In other words, so the first is most difficult. The second is a noble path and devoid of envy. And the, the third is is the least one you could possibly do. Below that is unmentionable. Not even a consideration. So, the disappearance of the spiritual masters is awkward, but seen philosophically, it is favorable. And therefore, we celebrate the disappearance. It's a festival day. It's meant to be uh, joyful inasmuch as any remembrance of the Lord and his devotees brings Joy, although it it may be the joy of separation, which is kind of a bitter, sweet, nonetheless, it calls our progress and is therefore favorable. And it is said, of course, that the Vaishnav disappearing here means appearing somewhere else, and disappearing, he remains in sound in the form of his teachings and so forth. And the Sri has pointed out if at any time more than others, it is this time that those teachings are to be examined thoughtfully and and, uh, internalized. So, it's important to think a little bit and discuss a little bit philosophically about such events. And all of us, not only those few that are gathered here, but all over the world, the whole international, international, community has obviously been affected as much by Prabhupada's appearance in the world as a preacher as by his disappearance. And so this is a testimony to his greatness. We cannot say that about anybody in the Vaishnava world, amongst the great sadhus, gurus, charges, and in the modern day, as much as we can, about Śrīla Prabhupāda, that is speaking for the international community of Bodhi Vaishnavas. So, when we think of it like this, appropriately, then there's no question of his greatness, we can only be astounded at the extent of his influence. How many people have come in touch with Gaudiya Vaishnavism by his grace and are preceding practices by his inspiration directly and indirectly. So it's no wonder that some of my godbrothers and god sisters, particularly those who remain f- affiliated formally with his International Society for Krishna Consciousness want to put so much emphasis on him, and sometimes we question that emphasis because it may tend to border on fanaticism and sentiment that is devoid of deeper philosophical thinking. We have the two sides to his divine grace, bhakti and Vedanta. So the Vedanta is is kind of the sobering side. And it's a little bit harsh. We used to say about Prabhupada. He used to say, I believe about Bhakti said Thakur Prabhupada, that he was soft as a rose and what hard as a thunderbolt. So the Vedanta is the kind of the thunderbolt side, and the bhakti is the rose or the lotus side. So when we Press on the Vedanta side, and and Shri Dharmar's short talk that I just read about the disappearance of the Guru is stressing more on that side, the Vedanta side. Then we may question that kind of fanaticism, that kind of sentiment, and how much understanding is behind it, and so forth. When we find that it, in the name of Prabhupada and his glorification, uh, sometimes uh, it gets in the way of understanding the real spiritual nature of his teachings, the philosophy that underlies it, the Vedanta, what is the reality, where one has gone in relation to that and so forth. Interestingly enough, Prabhupada was uh, very heavy and very strict and had a harsh side, in as much as strictness has a kind of a harsh side to him. And it's interesting that sometimes the persons who seem to appreciate him overtly and place such emphasis on him and because of his accomplishments and contributions and so forth, they tend to sometimes to stress the strict side of Prabhupada, the Vedanta side, <laughs> while they themselves, those who, who I'm saying in general, wherever they may be, who are a little on the fanatical side, are really only in touch with Prabhupada realistically in consideration of the bhakti side, <laughs> the generous side, the soft rose-like side. I was thinking about this uh, since uh, well, the last 24 hours. Krishna's made a nice statement in the Bhagavatam, in the 11th canto, the Bhagavatam, to the effect that he says that those who are my devotees who are, who are serving me but are addicted in different ways to sense gratification and, and even inappropriate activities and so forth. And if they repent those activities, even while continuing to commit them and go on serving me, that uh, they gradually become purified, they're dear to me and, and so forth. So I was thinking about this phenomenon because we have people who really do have some love for Prabhupada, but it doesn't play out in terms of Vedanta very well. And still, again, ironically, that's the harsh side that they they tend to stress about Prabhupada's strictness. Not that they relate it to the way I'm speaking about it, to Vedanta and how they, the Vedanta side, the philosophical side, is a little, little harsh. But the fact is that Bhakti is is very, very uh, very generous and ultimately as we can see from the statement of Krishna that I paraphrased from the eleventh canon, it really kind of overrides the Vedanta side. In many respects, in the ultimate sense that Bhakti love retires the knowledge the knowledge that there's only Krishna is retired and there's two. There's Radha and Krishna, there's a devotee and Krishna. And the Leela is played out and it's very sweet and so forth. And The Advaijyan Tattva, the non dual knowledge that is the philosophical perspective on reality, is obscured, is, is overshadowed by love, and a kind of transcendental duality manifests. But in a more simple sense, also, the fact is that this bhakti overrides the soft side. The rose-like or lotus-like side of Prabhupada overrides the lightning bolt side. Because the fact is that if, if, I, and I have had my own experience that some people who are my disciples, they have love for me. And they don't follow. <laughs> In fact, they do things that, that are very inappropriate. And so you can say, well, he's not a real follower of Maharaj. That's the Vedanta side, and there's some truth to it. But it doesn't change the fact that they still do love me, and I also love them, (laughs) and think of them differently than others who may be acting inappropriately. So I was thinking about this in relation to one of my disciples, and it really dawned on me how these sympathetic statements, generous statements by Krishna about his devotees they're real. They're, he really feels that way. And this bhakti side really overrides the Vedanta side in a simple sense, as I'm speaking. Ultimately, such persons do right themselves. But it, how is it? It's by the grace of the Lord. Prabhupada was very strict with his disciples and what he expected of them. But many of them deviated. And when they came back around, it was as if those deviations hadn't been even uh, counted. He immediately engaged them, again, put them in front positions or in in important positions. And so he would stress on that. He has that harsh, strict side, but in reality he didn't function like that in relation to those who had love for him and and through him some love for Krishna. So it's interesting that those whose affections and sentiments for Prabhupada border on fanaticism and become a problem from a point of view of Vedanta (laughs) And so forth, that they stress sometimes in their fanaticism the harsh side of Prabhupada when in reality their connection with him is based on his generous side. And they are, my point is, connected with him. And on days like this, persons like myself who know so many of Prabhupada's disciples, my God brothers and God sisters, we're pressed to, to think about them and how all over the world they're offering so many big celebrations and Sixty-four, hundred and eight offerings, and arctic, and Jai Prabhupada thousands of times, and hundreds of tunes, and, and all. Mm-hmm. <laughs> in one sense, it gets a bit much, but on days like this, I have to think about it, think that uh, they they have some love for Prabhupada. And I have to think back how in early days in the mission, I didn't have a lot of knowledge. Now I have quite a bit of knowledge, by the grace of Prabhupada and Sri Maharaj, and the interest in Gaudi Vaishnavism that they created in me. So I have a fair amount of knowledge. I have to admit that. It's by their grace. That fellow who wrote me and questioned the value of the institution of guru said that no intelligent person can take this seriously, but obviously he thinks I'm intelligent and he wants to engage in an intelligent dialogue with me, but he should know. The intelligence that I have is based on a taste for Krishna consciousness that's been awakened within me by the grace of Prabhupada. And Sridhar that gives me the ability to think about things the way I do and come up with the logic that I do in defense of Gaudiya Vaishnavism and, and, and the way of presenting it and so forth. So I'm a product of their mercy. What to speak of? He said intelligent persons cannot take it seriously, but what I find is that the institution of Guru, when properly approached submissively, as recommended in Bhagavad Gita, Tadvari Pranipati, Na na Sevaya that it gives intelligence, <laughs> good intelligence. The last time I saw shiva Prabhupada in, in Vrindavan, about a month before he left, he told me, go back to the West. He patted me on the head and said, you're a very intelligent boy. You go back to the West now and preach. So my intelligence actually comes from him, and that pat on the head, that kind of blessing, I can tell you. As it's said in some of the prayers of the great devotees, that I'm simply made of my Guru's mercy. So if that person wants to engage in it, intellectual dialogue and discussion with me, then he has to understand where my intelligence has come from. So what to speak of, his statement being questionable whether intelligent people will be interested. I'm saying this makes people intelligent, (laughs) this kind of uh, guru-disciple relationship. So I can remember times before that pat on the head and I wasn't as intelligent and I wasn't as learned and at the same time, I felt very confident in Prabhupada's company. I would feel very confident. I would come before the deity and say his name. And I thought, if I say this, I can't do anything wrong. <laughs> He's that kind of person. We say that Jaitanya Mahaprabhu is Patita pavan, and Nityananda Prabhu is the extension of that friendly, kind nature of Mahaprabhu to the fallen. And... I can tell you that Prabhupada is the extension of Nityananda Prabhu's kindness in the modern world. He was so kind, so generous, so much really willing to overlook shortcomings. I remember shortly, a couple of months after I took Sanyas and Prabhupada arrived in uh, Los Angeles, I went there to see him and he, when he came off the plane, I paid my respects, as he looked at me and as I got up, he just looked at me and laughed. And I thought, I can understand he's laughing at me, but look at this guy, <laughs> he's a sannyasi. <laughs> it's really a joke, but what can I do? You know, that's Prabhupada thinking like that. He was, and I, I'm thinking, yes, what can, he's kind to me to consider me like this, but by all any other standards of Vedanta and so forth, it's a joke. And this was his nature, his soft side, the bhakti side, that harshness was a front, just like Vedanta, it's like a front. Mahaprabhu was told by Ishvara Puri, don't study <laughs> Vedanta. <laughs> Chant Hare Krishna, don't study Vedanta. It's a waste of time. Chant Hare Krishna. And of course, all the Vedantic underpinnings of bhakti, that foundation that the real bhakti manifests on, should come to manifest within us in time, but our only hope, really, is to get the company of a generous person like Srila Prabhupada. And as I say, I used to go before the deity with great confidence, and mention his name, and know and if I made any mistake in the procedures in my life, if I was chanting his name, then the Lord would overlook it, and go, oh, he's from that group. Okay, <laughs> there's no problem. <laughs> I remember once I... Um, it was very, very important to Prabhupada to establish the Krishna Balaram Temple in Vrindavan. It was a major, major ambition of his, and it was it was a great struggle to do that. And I myself and others in my group were in the field, and we could feel Prabhupada's necessity to manifest that temple. And we were selling books, and the book money was going largely for that at that time. And so we were connected with that ambition of Śrīla Prabhupāda's. And when the opening came, we were fortunate to be there. And it was such a triumph for Śrīla Prabhupāda to establish Krishna Balaram in Vrindavan and then to offer the arti to Krishna Balaram. I was standing right in the front and uh, watching Prabhupāda offer the Artik and tears were just pouring out of my eyes like, uh, like, like rain <laughs> in ecstasy of joy, of Prabhupada's accomplishment. And I remember Vishakadevi, my god-sister, was a photographer. She was behind me. She said, Dr. get out of the way, get out of the way. It's for preaching. She wanted to take a picture, and I was like blocking the camera. But I just didn't care at that time. It didn't even, it didn't even, I could hear her. I wasn't about to move. But somehow or other, I moved by accident, I guess, and she got the picture. She credited me with moving, but my actual thought was, don't bother me right now. <laughs> this is too wonderful of a moment, and I've got my position right here in front <laughs> to see this, to witness this. She got the picture, of course, as a famous picture of turning, turning with the fan, and wide-eyed. So, anyway, at, at that time, then he, every evening Prabhupada was coming with dignitaries, big politicians, through the, the temple room to see the arctic. You go to the three altars, of Agornitai, krishna Balaram radha Sunda. So one night I arranged for myself and two of the men on my party to offer the arctic, and it was a big affair because the arctic paraphernalia was very opulent, silver and had these big wicks that were about a foot long for the ghee lamps and all. And... And the whole arctic was to be like choreographed, so everybody got up at exactly the same time, and turned at the same time, etc. And, so and the person on the Krishna Balaram altar was to coordinate. So one of my men on my party was offering the, the arctic to Gornathai, and one of them, whom you know, Vaisheshika Das, was offering to Radha Shyam and I was offering to Krishna Balaram. And these two, especially Vaisheshika, was just a young young guy, young fellow. He he joined me when he was seventeen. And I think he joined the Krishna consciousness when he was about sixteen. And so he was nervous as anything. I mean, he didn't even two of them, Suradas was the other one. They were reluctant to even go there, but I said, No, we've come to Vrindavan and we've helped the Prabhupada to do this and Krishna and Balaram, they want to accept service from me, go up there and offer the Arctic. So anyway, Vyasa Shekha was so nervous that he went out of sync and he offered the wrong thing at the wrong time and and he did it just when Prabhupada was there with the dignitaries at the Radha Sundar altar. And it was a, it was a big fiasco in a sense. So Prabhupada went back to his room and Sandy moved back to his room and then afterwards he asked, who was that offering the Artik? Who were those devotees tonight? And then someone said, oh, that was one of Tripura Maharaj's men. And they were meeting the, men at that altar. Tripura Maharaj and his men were there. And Prabhupada said, oh, all right then. All right. <laughs> so he uh, was uh, very generous to me in particular and to everybody really. And so uh, today anyway, I'm reminded of of his generosity. Bhakti Vedanta, A.C. Bhakti Vedanta Swami Prabhupada Sridhar Maharaj's words, again emphasizing the the strictness, what have we learned, how much, how far have we gone, the test has come, who will be a real disciple and who is not a real disciple. That side is there and it's important we've stressed that. Perhaps I've stressed that more on occasions like this, but today I move to stress the other side and appreciate all of my godbrothers and sisters, and all of the grand disciples of Srila Prabhupada who have some sentiment for him, even if they don't have much learning, much knowledge, and much standing in Vedanta, in reality, in other words. They can be very frustrating, no doubt, but they have some love for Prabhupada, and you can be sure that that great personality, A.C. Bhakti Bhaktivedanta Sali Prabhupada in the Nitya Lila, that Krishna is turning him to hear their prayers on this day and to overlook their faults, the whole nature of the Srupa Shakti is such that it's very, very, very generous. Vrindavan Dham is like a welfare state. Everything's provided. Said a blind mother calls her son Padmalochan, Lodicide, out of her own blindness of love. So the Srupa Shakti is like this. Srupa Shakti overlooks our inherent defect. Inherently, spiritually, we're defective. We're prone to the condition we find ourselves in, whereas the Sarup shakti and the devotees that are manifestations of that Sarupa shakti that serve the Lord in his leela and facilitate his playing out, his will, his joy, perpetually, they don't have the tendency, as we do. They're souls and we're souls. One of the doctrines of Vaishnavism is that there are different kinds of souls. We're a particular kind of soul, that's the shakti. Nitya Vada. We have this tendency. They don't have that tendency. And when they become generous towards us to the full measure, then the Swarup Shakti takes over our life, like the Maya Shakti has taken over our life. And at that time, we can function in the spiritual world as if one of them. And so they overlook our inherent... Effect. Our position doesn't change. We still remain what we are, but our fullest potential is realized as a jiva in connection with the Srupa Shakti, and it's very, very generous. We're able to fully participate in the Lila because of the generous nature of Srupa Shakti. So we're reminded today of Prabhupada's generous nature, and he was under a very powerful moving influence of Krishna Surup Shakti. Krishna Shakti He said you cannot propagate Krishna consciousness effectively without being empowered by Krishna Shakti. That means Surup Shakti. That means Sura Satva Vishayashatma prema Su yeah, He had bhav, Sambit Ladini Shakti fully awakened in his heart. Only by that could he be affected as he was. And of course his thrust under the influence of Nityanandapu was a a wide-scale dissemination. It's understood that, well, something has to fill in afterwards and there has to be further development and the boiling of the milk, to use his own terminology. But the fact that uh, the boiling of the milk needs to be done and there are many out and about who sing his name but don't really understand that much about Godi Vaishnavism is not a discredit to him. It's a credit to make a Konistha Adhikari out of nothing. That is very extraordinary. The awakened faith in so many people for bhakti, and it may be a simple faith, but it, it's so strong nonetheless. It's tender, komal, in Kanishta Adhikari faith that we see mostly that he's awakened, but it's tender in the sense that it's, that it's not tempered by knowledge. But it's not tender in the sense that it's weakened, it may go away. So, because he's given them Adikar for bhakti, awakened eligibility qualified them for bhakti, they will progress from there in time. And therefore we find 99.9% of the time, people who are in touch with him, influenced by him even directly, they cannot give up this bhakti. They cannot give up Chaitanya Pahaprabhu's mission. And even if they meet with arguments that they cannot defeat and so forth, they just become belligerent. <laughs> and it may be frustrating in a sense, but they go on to staying somehow or other connected to the path. So this is a great accomplishment on his part. And the nature of his campaign was very wide, so this is to be expected. Others will come and have a smaller campaign and focus on bringing that wider group within more for internal development and so forth. But his campaign was wide and far-reaching in its nature, so that's to be expected. And very, very, very generous. The comparison with Nityananda Prabhu is, doing Marsh was very, very appropriate. Nityananda Prabhu could be characterized by something like the phrase, chant and be happy, which we hear coming from Prabhupada, just chant and be happy. So, we offer our respects today to all of the disciples of the Bhaktivedanta Swami Prabhupada. We remember all the wonderful things that they did and how they pleased him in so many ways and how he was easy to be pleased by any little bit of devotion that they showed, any interest in Krishna consciousness and how he had them during his manifest presence on the edge of their seat, ready to move in any direction at any time. As I've said before, while he taught, don't change, He had them ready to change at any minute. So we offer our respects to all of them, and so many of them I know and remember, and and I know without doubt that they, in some way, they pleased him. And this can never be forgotten. That is to their eternal benefit. And today, hopefully, they're all. Remembering him in various ways, and I know for sure to the extent that they are, he's remembering them as well. So we're indebted to Prabhupada, and we're indebted to his disciples also, because they were the instruments through whom he shared his generosity and made it available to so many. So I want to offer my respects not only to Sridhar Maharaj, who taught us so much, and gave such encouragement strength to us in the absence of Śrīla Prabhupāda, such encouragement to go deeper and find Prabhupāda on a deeper level, find Prabhupāda in him, which was wonderful, and Prabhupāda himself, in another sense, on a deeper level and qualify ourselves to carry on in the way that we are with the mission, preaching and bringing people in touch with these good tidings. So to them I want to not only offer my respects, regards, humble dandavat Pranamas, but to all of the disciples of Śrīla Prabhupāda and to all of the grand disciples of Śrīla Prabhupāda who are... and to anyone who has any appreciation for him at all. They are fortunate people. Any question? The is say that Prabhupāda said that his books are the law books for the next <laughs> 10,000 years. So, what do you think about that? I think that Prabhupada said that. It's probably not written anywhere. Well, there's different ways to think about that. One way is that, of course, his books are the Bhagavatam, Bhakti-rasamrita-sindhu, Chaitanya-charitamrita, commentaries on them and so forth. But he gave those books to the world, and those books are the standard books for all of us for at least 10,000 years. But overall, I wouldn't take that very literally, as some people do. It doesn't mean that there should be no other books by any stretch of the imagination. The same person who said at some point, my books, yes, they would be the law books for the next 10,000 years, also encouraged his disciples to write books and wanted other books translated that he didn't get a chance to. He had ambitions to translate other books. But the Lord could not bear his separation and didn't give him the time to do that. So, I wouldn't take that statement very literally. It's something off the cuff that Prabhupada said, yes, my books will be the law books for the next 10,000 years. I mean, his books today are the best, if not only, translations in modern languages of Bhagavatam, Chaitanya Charitamritam by devotees, Charges, Gita, there are a couple others, of course. His uh, summary study, Nectar of Devotion. Still today, these are standard textbooks. If you want to read these books in English, he made them available. So they're very important. They're core material. Anyway, I said a few words. And it just reflects uh, my feelings today of how inadequately we are able here in this humble setting to to do justice to a day in which he is to be remembered and glorified and and praised. And therefore, we stress on his generous side, pray that he will continue to be generous to us so that we can one day try to do justice to the kind of glorification that uh, his contribution to the world warrants. (Santhi) श्री लक्ष्मी की महाराज की 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 कृष्ण की की की